During the 17 years of reflections from Asia, I have lived with a never-ending worry. Nightmare would be the right word on some occasions. I choose a topic, write a script, and then, at the very last moment, uncertain ongoing developments would make my script out of date in a flash. It happened this week as acrimony in Washington, discord in Tehran, and the need for more compromise further delayed the solution of the international problems posed by Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons. But at least on this occasion, I had time to think of an alternative reflections. So I returned to a reflections originally broadcast in March 2012 when... A few sharp questions from CBS newsman Scott Pelley and a few terse answers from U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta in an interview on board the U.S. Flying Command Post en route to Afghanistan highlighted what could obviously become a major international crisis. Uh, the United States, uh, and the President's made this clear, does not want Iran to develop a nuclear weapon. Uh, that's a red line for us, and it's a red line, obviously, for the Israelis. So we share a common goal here. If we have to do it, we will do it. What is it? If they proceed and we get intelligence that they're proceeding with developing a nuclear weapon, then we will take whatever steps are necessary to stop them. Including military steps? There are no options that are off the table. Then, President Barack Obama, addressing a key component of the Israel lobby in the United States at their conference in Washington, brought a looming crisis between Iran, the U.S. and Israel into much clearer view. Iran's nuclear program... A threat that has the potential to bring together the worst rhetoric about Israel's destruction with the world's most dangerous weapons. Let's begin with a basic truth that you all understand. No Israeli government can tolerate a nuclear weapon in the hands of a regime that denies the Holocaust, threatens to wipe Israel off the map, and sponsors terrorist groups committed to Israel's destruction. And so I understand the profound historical obligation that weighs on the shoulders of Bibi Netanyahu and Ehud Barak and all of Israel's leaders. A nuclear-armed Iran is completely counter to Israel's security interests. But it is also counter to the national security interests of the United States. It is also contrary to the interests of many other nations. It has been calculated that production of an Iranian nuclear bomb would result in several other West Asian nations, notably Egypt, Turkey and Saudi Arabia, feeling they must produce nuclear bombs too. Indeed, the entire world has an interest in preventing Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. A nuclear-armed Iran would thoroughly undermine the non-proliferation regime that we've done so much to build. There are risks that an Iranian nuclear weapon could fall into the hands of a terrorist organization. It is almost certain that others in the region would feel compelled to get their own nuclear weapon, triggering an arms race in one of the world's most volatile regions. It would embolden a regime that has brutalized its own people, and it would embolden Iran's proxies, who have carried out terrorist attacks from the Levant to Southwest Asia. And that is why, four years ago, I made a commitment to the American people and said that we would use all elements of American power to pressure Iran and prevent it from acquiring a nuclear weapon. 
And that is what we have done. Obama was criticised for being naive when he initially sought a diplomatic dialogue with Tehran, but he now knows it helped to increase pressure on Iran. In fact, our policy of engagement, quickly rebuffed by the Iranian regime, allowed us to rally the international community as never before, to expose Iran's intransigence, and to apply pressure that goes far beyond anything that the United States could do on our own. Because of our efforts, Iran is under greater pressure than ever before. Some of you will recall, people predicted that Russia and China wouldn't join us to move towards pressure. They did. In 2010, the UN Security Council overwhelmingly supported a comprehensive sanctions effort. Few thought that sanctions could have an immediate bite on the Iranian regime. They have, slowing the Iranian nuclear program and virtually grinding the Iranian economy to a halt in 2011. Many questioned whether we could hold our coalition together as we moved against Iran's central bank and oil exports. But our friends in Europe and Asia and elsewhere are joining us. And in 2012, the Iranian government faces the prospect of even more crippling sanctions. That is where we are today, because of our work. Iran is isolated, its leadership divided and under pressure. Still, the objective has not been achieved. So critics ask, is the pressure enough? Will Iran's inability to sell its oil and its exclusion from the international system of financial transactions constitute enough pressure to completely halt Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons? Obama reached two important conclusions after stressing his desire to avoid war. The United States and Israel both assess that Iran does not yet have a nuclear weapon. And we are exceedingly vigilant in monitoring their program. Now the international community has a responsibility to use the time and space that exists. Sanctions are continuing to increase. And this July, thanks to our diplomatic coordination, a European ban on Iranian oil imports will take hold. <laughs> Faced with these increasingly dire consequences, Iran's leaders still have the opportunity to make the right decision. They can choose a path that brings them back into the community of nations, or they can continue down a dead end. But at the heart of the issue, Obama retains a hope, however slim, that the leaders of Iran will be able to change their mind, that they will follow in the footsteps of Park Chung-hee, Chiang Kai-shek, Gaddafi and Nelson Mandela, deciding to abandon the production of nuclear weapons for their nations. And given their history, there are, of course, no guarantees that the Iranian regime will make the right choice. But both Israel and the United States have an interest in seeing this challenge resolved diplomatically. After all, the only way to truly solve this problem is for the Iranian government to make a decision to forsake nuclear weapons. That's what history tells us. Obama then asserts, while peaceful means are preferable, force may be necessary. Moreover, as President and Commander-in-Chief, I have a deeply held preference for peace over war. I have sent men and women into harm's way. I've seen the consequences of those decisions in the eyes of those I meet who've come back gravely wounded, and the absence of those who don't make it home. 
Long after I leave this office, I will remember those moments as the most searing of my presidency. And for this reason, as part of my solemn obligation to the American people, I will only use force when the time and circumstances demand it. And I know that Israeli leaders also know all too well the costs and consequences of war, even as they recognize their obligation to defend their country. So we all prefer to resolve this issue diplomatically. Having said that, Iran's leaders should have no doubt about the resolve of the United States. Just as they should not doubt Israel's sovereign right to make its own decisions about what is required to meet its security needs. Obama then conveys the complexity of this issue and rejects any thought that it will be enough to contain Iran once it does go nuclear. I have said that when it comes to preventing Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon, I will take no options off the table. And I mean what I say. That includes all elements of American power. A political effort aimed at isolating Iran. A diplomatic effort to sustain our coalition and ensure that the Iranian program is monitored. An economic effort that imposes crippling sanctions. And yes, a military effort to be prepared for any contingency. Iran's leaders should understand that I do not have a policy of containment. I have a policy to prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon. And as I have made clear time and again during the course of my presidency, I will not hesitate to use force when it is necessary to defend the United States and its interests. When he addressed the conference the next day, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave his assessment of Iran's nuclear ambitions. The Jewish state will not allow those who seek our destruction to possess the means to achieve that goal. A nuclear-armed Iran must be stopped. Now, amazingly, some people refuse to acknowledge that Iran's goal is to develop nuclear weapons. You see, Iran claims to, uh, to do everything it's doing, to en- that it's enriching uranium to develop medical isotopes. Yeah, that's right. A country that builds underground nuclear facilities, that develops intercontinental ballistic missiles, that manufactures thousands of centrifuges and that absorbs crippling sanctions is doing all that in order to advance medical science. So you see, when, uh, when that Iranian ICBM is flying through the air to a location near you, you've got nothing to worry about. It's only carrying medical isotopes. Ladies and gentlemen, If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, then what is it? What is it? That's right. It's a duck, but this duck is a nuclear duck. And it's time the world started calling a duck a duck. Netanyahu noted that Iran had gone as far as to accuse the Americans of orchestrating the 9-11 attacks in New York and Washington. This is real chutzpah. Iran accuses the American government of orchestrating 9-11. And that's as brazen as denying the Holocaust, which they do. And Iran, Iran calls for Israel's destruction 
and they work for this destruction. They work for this every day, each day, relentlessly. Now, I say all that to, to make one point clear. This is how Iran behaves today without nuclear weapons. Think of how they'll behave tomorrow with nuclear weapons. Iran will be even more reckless and a lot more dangerous. Now, there's been plenty of talk recently about the cost of stopping Iran. I think it's time we started talking about the cost of not stopping Iran. But he was not hopeful for a diplomatic solution. Now, of course, the best outcome would be if Iran decided to abandon its nuclear weapons program peacefully. No one would be happier than me and the people of Israel if Iran dismantled its program. But so far, that hasn't happened. For 15 years, I've been warning that a nuclear-armed Iran is a grave danger to my country and to the peace and security of the entire world. For the last decade, the international community has tried diplomacy. It hasn't worked. For six years, the international community has applied sanctions. That hasn't worked either. Today, at least, it can be safely asserted that Netanyahu was wrong on both these counts. By 2013, the enormous pressure generated by UN-imposed sanctions had led to the election of President Hassan Rouhani, pledged to getting the crushing burden of UN-imposed sanctions lifted. Since 2013, Iran has been seriously negotiating with the US, Russia, China, France, Britain and Germany to reach an agreement which will so limit Iran's nuclear development that sanctions can be lifted. The finalization of that diplomacy is what hangs in the balance right now. Secretary of State John Kerry will be flying to Europe in a few days, if he hasn't flown already, for a further and perhaps final round of negotiations with Iran's Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif. But in both Washington, D.C. and in Tehran, political backbiting and recriminations threaten to complicate finalization and acceptance of any accord. It is truly a cliffhanger crisis that awaits solution.